0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School,
2: Sirius XM 111. welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. I'm Cheryl Coleman, And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are live here every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 Eastern, and then we'll replay during the week. So we're in our final, you know, hour of the show. Mm-hmm. We want to remind people that we have an open segment at the, at the half-hour part. <laughs> We'd love to hear from people. we got some good emails coming in sometimes, and good conversation so that's a perfect time to rethink about what you may have heard on the show or what's happening in the news that you'd like to talk a little bit about and give us a call our phone number is one 844 Wharton 844-942-7866 and you can also email us at businessradio at seriesxm.com and then follow us on twitter at bizradio 111 and at wharton social so now we're going to be joined by meredith ferguson who's the managing director at Do Something Strategic. Um, Do Something Strategic is the data-driven consultancy arm of DoSomething.org, which I'm sure people have heard a lot about, and they help brands and organizations engage young people for positive social change. Meredith, welcome to Dollars and Change. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. We're happy to have you on. Uh, You know, I I think that... um, uh, certainly, do doSomething.org is, has, uh, you know, tremendous visibility, and I think everybody's heard of it and probably have participated in one way or another. Do Something Strategic is is uh, less visible around that. So tell us what what you do there. Sure.
0: We about five years ago, our um, CEO decided to start this strategy consultancy because we were getting so many brands and organizations appreciating that something.org really had its finger on the pulse of young people and what they sort of believed and how they engaged in social good and what channels they used and which ones they didn't and really understand how to connect deeply with young people. And so she said, you know what? We need to help other brands and organizations and nonprofits. We need to sort of provide these learnings, these insights that we have, and this data that we have from our six million members to help other organizations connect with young people and drive positive social change. And just for, so our, for,
1: for our listeners who aren't familiar or maybe haven't used Do Something, I, I imagine it's disproportionately millennial uh, users. I'll let you confirm that later. Um we'll confirm or deny. But DoSomething.org is, is just this good-looking, you know, cool, thoughtful, helpful website. You can go to and say – you know, here's the issue I'm interested in. This is how much time I have, and this is the way I want to be involved. And it sort of generates those opportunities for you. So if you watch the news and you're really... You know, devastated to see you know a particular crisis in environment, um, or you watch a Netflix documentary and you're sobbing about the whales or the, planet, the ocean water. Exactly. You can go on and say, "I care about the environment." I have four hours, and I want to do something that um, actually allows me to get involved in my community, and it will sort of generate those opportunities for you, so that you can turn your your passion into action. So it's not hard to imagine that. You know, Meredith, to your point, that platform gave, gathers tons of data on, on millennials um, and that this, you know, organization would be able to be sort of spawned out of it. Um, but tell us let me maybe, maybe start there. Am I correct in yeah. assuming most of the users are the millennial generation?
0: Um, really, we we define the users as young people and we. Okay young people to us are people between the ages of 13 and 25 Oop, I'm not in like, there <laughs> <Right. So it's laughs> not so even more. close <laughs> I cleared it <laughs> I will say we have people and, and by member a not a single person pays us it's not a paid membership it just means that the person has given us the means to communicate with them one to one or one to few, and more and more that's through text. So we email with about three million young people every single week. We text with over three point two million young people every single week, and and so we we engage them through the means um, by which they want to be communicated with, and so. The really interesting thing about that is we start to see a sort of natural attrition you know, after 25 because our platform is really developed um, in a way that says you don't need a car, you don't need money, and you don't need adult supervision or permission to engage in these initiatives. And so we design every initiative that is put onto our platform, and there's over – 270 cause campaigns on our platform in any given moment. And um, so really 13 to 25 right now is is Gen Z. Wow. Yep.
1: So um, you've learned a lot about them. I'm excited to dig in because the the data is just, wow, startling, yeah. uh, exciting, riveting. Um, talk to us about what you were able to learn about the political views of Gen Z or young yeah, people, think, young people.
0: Sure. Well, we, we we wanted to sort of dig in to both the sort of political mindset and also the consumer mindset and understand how those two things might be linked. And what we saw was, you know, first, I think there's probably this this notion or belief that people think yeah, anyone to the right of Bernie Sanders is rejected by young people. And that's actually not true. Nearly half. Of young people, and and that's 13 to 25 year olds that we surveyed, um, identify as either indif- or independent or unaffiliated, mm. and so, and that's the plurality, and 50 percent of them identify as moderates, and so really, while they may sort of have more liberal views on certain issues, it reflects more of a societal shift than a political philosophy of sorts. And, and that's really, um, and we see that because, listen, even those who identify as conservatives said, hey, we support background checks for gun purchases. We believe climate change is real and, and, and is you know, caused by humans. We believe the government should provide health coverage for all. So these are issues that for young people, they're not politically driven they're just human driven they just these are just things they believe so it's no surprise that they don't see themselves philosophically represented in a very polarized uh, mm-hmm. national yeah.
2: political landscape well and that's a, that's a really interesting thing because you wonder you know the the boxes and labels are so <sighs> narrow yeah. um and and i think people are more complex and yet our our political structure doesn't allow for that kind of subtlety mm-hmm. and complexity yes. and it's only getting more polarized the Indeed. um the findings
1: of young people's political views just to paint a picture for our listeners you asked these young people are you very conservative 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 moderate liberal or very liberal and it is a perfect bell curve yeah. it looks like only yeah. <laughs> you know less than 10% of of these young people identified as either very conservative or very liberal the bulk really you know over 50% there are landing at at moderate and so that's just you know such a such yeah. a fascinating finding. Now you referenced you wanted I'm not surprised, but I'm inter- I'm right. happy to see it validated by research. Um, you, you mentioned how you know understanding politics alongside brand um and and sort of an impact um and brand value proposition. What did you learn about that?
0: Well, I think we saw that uh, you know, they don't see themselves represented. And so they're really sort of turning to the next big power. Look, they're not fools. They're, they understand money talks, Mm -hmm. and they don't have it. So politicians aren't listening to them. But, but consumer as a consumer, they know they have power. And so increasingly, they're turning to corporate America to really drive the change they want to see. And so while consumer activism isn't necessarily new, this isn't it's not like Gen Z is, is the first to do this, it really is elevated to this kind of place of primacy right now where we see gen z saying hey listen if politicians are going to let us down we're going to demand that brands listen listen to us fascinating happen yeah Yeah. i
1: mean i think that's the instinct we've had but that's articulated and sort of supported in such a uh substantive way
2: and i love the tie you know The connection to the politics and having power, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a consumer and you're buying things, you do have a kind of power. You kind of get how companies work, right? Like, I give
1: them my money. They do well. I don't. They don't. Politics, it's, right, like, you've got lobbying and you've got, you know, campaign finance, and it seems like a lot less clear and direct of a path to change. Right. Um, Did you find, are there examples to help us old folks um, who are not in the young people group, um, any examples of companies or businesses that young people are saying are doing it particularly well and that they're pointing to as an example or really putting their their support behind?
0: You know, the the number one brand that came up in our survey as someone who is really living their values and... Oh, can we guess
1: first? Yes. I want to hear Cheryl's guess. Patagonia. Ooh, interesting. I would very much agree, I, but I'm wondering if they're too small. Oh, maybe. Like, what do millennials love and feel really supportive about? Is and Gen
0: it... Z. It's Gen
2: Z. Oh, Gen Z. Z. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, well, God, my, I keep thinking millennials think is the youngest, yeah, it but it really- Yeah, my
0: you're thinking differently. I don't know. Mm.
2: Okay. Guess, it might change your guess. Sandy's not guessing. Tell us. Uh,
0: I'm going to guess
1: Toms. They're probably too young for Toms. All right. What is it? We're both wrong. Lush. Lush? Oh. Yes. So this Lush, is surprising on a number of fronts. Continue.
0: Yes. So Lush, they really feel like has um, represents their values. You know, they they sort of they're environmentally friendly. Of course, they sort of reduce their packaging. They um, use ethically sourced ingredients. All of those very. Important and Lush is a, things for
1: the, our table. listeners who don't know a a sort of boutique. Well, it's at scale now, but it's a kind of customized. Uh, Soap. like personal body care soap and uh maybe some cosmetic products and shower yeah. products and things company but yeah they really lead with sort of that impact sustainability green feeling mm. in every part of their business i'm surprised that 13
0: year olds are buying their own soap <laughs> i thought <laughs> well it's cool soap you know it's glitter yeah. soap it's yeah bombs it's, uh-huh. it's really fun stuff yeah but it's not just because they are environmentally friendly. It's also because Lush is very, very active in campaigning mm. for issues that young people care about. And so they have consistently mm. represented things from, like, you, you may have heard of their recent campaign, the Spy Cops campaign in the UK. No. no. But they've had, okay, tell, so tell this was a that. campaign that. Again, Charlie and I are <laughs> many times <laughs> too old to be. So tell us about the this campaign. I hear you. It was a campaign that drew attention to an investigation into undercover police officers that they felt like were infiltrating the lives of their activists or of activists in general. And and they're very um, ingrained in the activism community. And so um, they really wanted to call that out. And so they had window dressings that featured officers with the words that said paid to lie stamped on them. It's been very, very controversial. And some people have said, what the hell does this have to do with soap? Like what's, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I, can see where people sort of maybe unfamiliar with this brand might find this irrelevant. But with young people in particular, this is sort of the diversity of the lush activism campaigns. It it runs the gamut. It's everything from they've had a death is not justice campaign opposing the death penalty. They had an error 404 campaign that that fought against uh, Internet shutdowns. so this spy cops wow. campaign is really sort of nothing new in the world of lush consumers, and um, it really so, – so it's not just about uh, that, that, that they sort of ethically source their ingredients. It's also they, they support activists – uh, by funding them, they have a they have a product called Charity Pot, where one hundred percent of the profits go towards um, a, a pot that funds activism in the community, so they really are very, very ingrained in um, the, the political scene and, and the activism scene, and they invite their employees and consumers to do it alongside them. They're not doing this by just simply writing a check.
2: This is Dollars they, and Change on Sirius XM 111. We're talking with Meredith Ferguson, who's the managing director at Do Something Strategic. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating conversation about um, the power of, of young people and their activism, and and a company like Lush that is integrating it in so many different areas in ways, frankly, I did not did not realize. Yeah, well, we're we're not being targeted, Cheryl. <laughs> they're not tar- <laughs> trying to talk to us. But I want to, um, you know, it's funny. I am.
1: I have two brand interaction points with Lush, and both of them have been with someone who's under twenty-five. So this is my very small sample size. Says this is true. Yeah. I'm curious about the business case. So that's something we're always thinking about. You know, certainly here at Wharton. 13 to 25 year olds, like it sounds like, okay, Lush is getting them super fired up on social media. They feel like this brand speaks to them. They feel like this brand gets who they are. But again, are they buying soap? And what is the disposable income of the average 13 to 25 year old to go buy a glitter bath bomb or, you know, whatever these products are? Are we seeing that it's driving their parents to these stores? Is it that? You know i, I just knowing yeah. economics of this country you know that to me strikes me as a luxury item, fancy you know sustainable soaps and that whole shopping experience so you know is lush sure is lush you know capitalizing on this
0: consumer passion with sales oh yeah i mean lush is lush is doing fantastic, lush is a huge brand, and a big portion of their um consumer base is young people now, I can't necessarily say that it's 13 to 15 year olds although you know by 2020 they'll account for 40% of all customers yeah, so good bet. truly yeah so truly if there if you're a smart brand and you're looking ahead um, you're really thinking about what does this consumer, even though they may not be our core consumer today, mm-hmm. although they do have great influence over their uh, parents' purchasing power. But yes. even if they're not your core consumer today as a, as a group in and of themselves, they will be soon. And so it really is about thinking ahead. We always talk about that related to consider Netflix. Imagine if Netflix had said, you know what, our core consumer today is is really – you know, loving these discs in the mail, let's double down on that, (laughs) right? right? right. And they hadn't thought ahead, and they hadn't seen where the trend was going. Um, They wouldn't be in the amazing position they're in today, and I I really challenge brands to think ahead of this unique generation. They may not be your, you know, core Mm -hmm. customer today, but they will be, and you should think about what they care about.
2: You know, and it's so interesting. I'm thinking, you know, if I were a business owner or Know, an entrepreneur trying to start the next Warwick Parker, et cetera. I mean, this makes this story about lush and and the way that these these young f- folks are thinking about their purchasing power makes for a difficult decision in some sense, right? Because now I'm thinking, how do I not only have a good product, but what other what other advocacy, what other issues? where Where else do I take a stand? and you don't just mm-hmm. hide behind the product anymore?
0: Right. And I will say, like, the, and more and more, the emerging brands are the ones that are starting like that. They're mm-hmm. not having to add it on. Mm-hmm. So another brand that was mentioned by our consumers or by our um, respondents was United by Blue. Yeah. And oh, yeah. A, yeah. You know, not, you know they're, they're pretty small, but, oh, I guess, of course, they're in your backyard. Yes. Yeah, they, <laughs> they're Philly-based. They're right. I think
1: maybe their largest store is right here on campus, yeah. actually. They just expanded. Got it.
0: Well, they're. I mean, they've they've got a presence. um, It's sort of broadening. They've just celebrated. um, They're on track in 2018 this year to sell double last year's sales. Wow, double. I mean, this is is a sort
1: of for for consumers who aren't familiar. This is a high-end, you know, coffee shop and and sort of snack shop with really responsibly sourced coffee. And then they also sell clothing, like sort of fancy camping accessories, kitschy pennants, like it's a I don't know how you describe that, but sort of a you know, accessory and coffee retailer. Um
0: they yeah, they call themselves a durable goods company. Durable they sort of goods started company. they started as their as the clothing and and durable goods shop. And then they've added this coffee shop as a way to sort of build community. Mm -hmm. But the really interesting thing is for every product sold, the brand removes one pound of trash from oceans and other waterways. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't just a, aren't we great? Like, look how great we are. They actually invite consumers to be a part of this very hands-on work that they do. Uh, Oh,
2: so So, literally go, go help pull things out of the ocean. Yes.
1: And they I've seen get, it on the sandwich right board. Yeah, there's a sandwich board outside the store on campus here, and it'll say, like, next, you know, cleanup day, you, you know, meet us at XYZ on this date. So,
2: oh, so com- yeah. you know, and that's interesting because companies have um, often had these volunteer days for their, their mm-hmm. employees, but bringing in the consumers as part of that community building is, is actually really a very interesting strategy.
0: Well, and and what we saw in our survey was that only 34% of people feel like they're making an impact by simply making a purchase that is cause related. So if the brand's like, hey, 10% of this goes to a river cleanup, they're like, okay, great. That feels good, but I don't really feel like I'm having an impact. Mm. And so to build this very deep and lasting connection with young consumers in particular, what they're asking for is is being is to be directly engaged in this impactful work. They're saying almost half, 49%. It's important for a brand to have a social change initiative that they can be a part of. Wow, so interesting. That That,
2: that is fascinating. I
0: mean, it's sort
1: of there are a lot of ways you could take that, some of those uh, data points, but the fact that only 35% ish care or feel Mm -hmm. like they're making an impact when they make a purchase, I'm like, Mm -hmm. yo, kids, you're doing a lot. You are making an impact. Like, good, bad, or ugly, brands make an impact. Yeah. You know, companies make an impact, and it's funny that they want to get their hands dirty because, like, you're going to do that once a year, but you're buying things all the time. And the power yeah. of doing that is so huge. But it's it's important to know that they don't
0: feel that is as impactful. It's not enough. They're saying, yeah, what else you got, huh. right? And that's why you see someone like United by Blue celebrating its 10,000th volunteer and on track to double its sales. I mean, they are saying we get you, and we're here for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, super fascinating. Yeah. And um, how I'm curious how do something how how your you know consulting shop in, engages with the do something platform um, to respond to that. You know, are are people wanting to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm shopping for this type item, or um, I guess, I guess I'm sort of confused. Like, how, how and where do they want an impact? Yeah. How tightly does that need to align with their consumer preferences? Um, or do they feel comfortable sort of buying what they buy and then doing something good separately?
0: I, I think it's both. I, you know, we see that 67% of young people between the ages of 13 and 25 volunteer, have volunteered at least once in the last year, which is huge. That is such a spike when you look at the U.S. Labor Bureau of Statistics. And so they absolutely want to be involved in their community. They want to, to have this very hands-on impact. Um, but they're also saying, hey, brand, if you create this opportunity for me, I will be so much more loyal to you so in a whole different way that isn't driven just by sort of feature benefits of your product. It's also driven by a connection, a, like a human, a deep sort of understanding of what we both stand for and what we both want to see in this world. And so it's really an opportunity for brands to say, yeah, we could limit this to just, you know, selling our product and, they, and we, there are other opportunities for young people to get involved. Or we can say, hey, we can be a brand like Love Your Melon that says, hey, we're, we're a company that wants to give a hat to every child battling cancer in America, and we're going to create a, a love your melon campus crew program that invites these young people to be not just brand ambassadors of the of the product, but get involved in directly helping these young young children with cancer, taking the children and their family on day trips and being involved mm-hmm. in 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 the hospital programs that that are provided. So it's really if a brand is smart and this is what we talk about a lot as the consultancy is really helping that brand identify how can you very genuinely and very real have a way to both represent what you stand for but also provide an opportunity for your consumers to get engaged with you it's
2: fascinating it's really fascinating so um let's talk go back and talk a little bit about the survey um how yeah. was it was it tied to the do something.org platform or how you how did you get this information?
0: We did not survey our members. Uh-huh. We have we, we do and we have, um, and we tend to see that our members are a little bit more socially engaged. So the percentages of say how often they volunteer in a year is higher right. uh, among our member base. Um, so this was a Gen Pop, thirteen to twenty five year olds. Uh, we. Perhaps some of them are our members. By the way, I, I, I can't yeah, say right. we excluded them, right. but we didn't exclusively survey our members, and we did almost 2,500 young people, representative of the uh, a U.S. sample, so across the country, um, across uh, various racial, you know, gender, all of that, it, socioeconomic status.
1: Fascinating, and I'm, um, I'm I'm stuck on the sort of brand. Uh, Im- the The implications for brands yeah, as a result yeah. of, of these learnings and thinking about their next round of consumers. The two brands you referenced are growing. Um, they're smaller, newer brands that are growing. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, it's a lot easier to bake that in from day one. What, you know, are there examples of big companies? So we just interviewed Hershey's mm-hmm. prior to the segment, right? They have a, a strong history. They have a strong brand. They have a big company. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, can be more powerful but also more difficult to, to change who's doing this really well from the big brand perspective or and or what would your advice be to big brands to try to do this better
0: yeah so you certainly named one and it's one that young people named too so I don't want to um, uh, go breeze over that which is Patagonia mm-hmm. so Patagonia I think it's 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 sort of set the standard. Yeah. For how... They're a rare
1: bird, though, because they cared from day one before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> but they didn't always engage their consumers from day one. They uh. didn't always create opportunities. And so you may have seen recently Patagonia launched a platform called uh, Action, Patagonia Action, mm-hmm. and, and that was really about saying, hey, we care, you care, we want to facilitate your involvement. And so um, much like the Do Something platform, they give young people or just consumers a way to get engaged where it differs from do something.org of course is that they connect you with organizations that are looking for help versus what we do which is just create campaigns that you can do on your own so in any case um that's one brand that has that is doing it um we see a brand like garnier garnier is a great example oh so this is an
1: interesting one because to me it's like i remember they're they're shining in the 90s um right so what's their reinvention look like to this audience
0: so I don't know if I would call it a reinvention necessarily but Garnier is is a beauty brand for most you know shampoos and um, beauty products in any case they have had a long standing commitment to recycling because they obviously use a lot of plastics right. and that's a big problem but there hasn't been one that's very consumer facing they just kind of do it on the back end they have a, a very strong partnership with Terra, TerraCycle and so they do a lot of recycling initiatives on their end but they've never really said hey consumers we want you to do this with us mm-hmm. and so um, I will say this is a do dosomething.org campaign where they said hey we want to partner with Do dosomething.org to create a campaign around beauty product recycling because often it doesn't make it from the bathroom to yes, the bath- bin. bathroom is awesome trash is a him. real
1: recycling issue
0: yeah and so they ch- we created a campaign that challenged young people to create a bathroom recycling bin mm-hmm. um, so there's really no excuses and then yeah. the second wave of that created a sort of education initiative around Um, what's recyclable and what's not, because not every piece of your, Mm -hmm. you know, hairspray bottle is necessarily recyclable. And so what is and what isn't. Um, And it's been enormously successful for both um, recycling initiatives in general, but also for the brand itself. It has really created Um, an uptick in brand affinity among young people around, wow, this is a brand who is totally established. This isn't anything, nobody really knew that they cared about this. Now they do and now the young people are saying, ah, we care about you too.
2: Super interesting. Yeah, and uh, this is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. We are talking with Meredith Ferguson, Managing Director at Do Something Strategic. And I think Sandy and I are both um, <laughs> quite absorbed by this conversation. Yeah. and I'm, I'm trying I'm, to process the thinking on this. Yeah.
1: So Garnier, I guess that's how you say it, right? That brand, what comes to mind for me, one, they have Tina Fey as a spokeswoman, so they have my immediate <laughs> affection. <laughs> but I feel like maybe it's just... Where I am demographically, I see a lot of like hair dye and like root color and, you know, I don't think of it as a Gen Z product. Um, so it's very interesting that they're, mm-hmm. you know, taking that action to, to maybe sort of uh, give them that affinity to that, you know, new new demo- demographic who will start to care about their products and start to have an opinion on, you know, their beauty products and their shampoo and, and their families. And you know who
0: we tapped to be their spokesperson? It's funny that you say Tina Fey because, of course, I'm obsessed with her as well. (laughs) We're we're older, right? Um, But we tapped this very very exciting uh, young woman, Remy Cruz, to be the spokesperson for this campaign, and she is a DIY. Um, and and beauty lover, beauty product lover and DIY YouTuber. Hmm. And so what a perfect match to say, hey, she invited everyone to sort of create these really cool DIY beauty recycle bins. And um, also her love of beauty products really resonated then with this, this particular audience. So yeah, I had never heard of Remy Cruz, right? But certainly um our members have and that was the target of this campaign. So interesting. It's
1: funny now I'm thinking like brands are, do brands have these split personalities where it's like they're successfully putting a Tina Fey ad in my real simple magazine where I'm going mm-hmm. to read it still get it hard copy. <laughs> love me some Tina Fey. And also, <laughs> you know, having a YouTube channel with someone I've never heard of um doing things I never knew were in its brand portfolio to sort of bring up that next um, yeah.
2: demographic of consumers, not an, not an easy job, not an easy yeah. job, these folks. So yeah. I'm, I'm a little, um, I let's go back to the Garnier. How did they reach this demographic? Were they doing it through, well, you said they were doing it through do something.org, right?
0: Yes. So that's, that's how they, that's in part how they reached, but you know, with, with, um, Remy Cruz, of course, which was the do something.org partnership, um, they were able to reach Remy Cruz's audience and um, do something.org of course, our six million members. And then we also create all kinds of um, w- opportunities for brands when they engage with us in a campaign to reach uh, a variety of media channels that they wouldn't necessarily have access to. Mm-hmm.
1: Super interesting. Um, and, yeah, that, that was a great example because I really – it's so easy to think of these younger, uh, more nimble, smaller companies that are, right. you know, millennial founded, mm-hmm. and so Gen Z is
2: not that big of a stretch. Well, and and Meredith, we're nearing the mm-hmm. end of our, oh, sorry, of our segment. What most surprised you about the survey? I mean,
0: Zandy and I are surprised by everything that's from the survey, <laughs> <laughs> but what most surprised you? I think the thing that surprised me the most. Well, there were two parts. Certainly, the part that said you know, hey, brands, we want you to create opportunities for us to be impactful alongside you. That was just such an exciting um, surprise because it creates such an opportunity for brands, I think, that are struggling to sort of build loyalty and, you know, Mm -hmm. are, are seeing that loyalty clubs are kind of going by the wayside. And is there a way to use your loyalty club in a different way? Is there a way to use your connection in a different way? Um, And and one that just drives positive social change. So that, for sure, excited me, and and we were thrilled to see that. The other thing that I thought was just really interesting is almost half of our respondents said, hey, in the future, I believe that I am going to change the world in a meaningful way. I mean, how exciting is that? And only a quarter – said that they're part of a larger social movement to do just that, to solve social problems and really change the world. And so, to me, that shows that there's such an opportunity for brands to not just lead by example, but foster this connectedness and this community among these young consumers to both build a stronger company and and, and a healthy world. And I think that,
2: you know, it is kind of interesting, because again, we were talking with Jeff King from... um, Hershey's mm-hmm. about how the, the CSR initiatives and their mm-hmm. social innovation kind of grew out of uh, their business need, et cetera. But I think it's it's really interesting to think about how companies need to start thinking about this. I bet they won't believe it initially, right? Because it's sort of a right. different kind of thinking. They're, they're saying we're doing our sustainability and environmental stuff. But this notion of trying to engage the consumer in a... A, a position, in a stance mm-hmm. in order to build brand loyalty. Oh,
1: and it's just such a different world, right? I mean, even 10 years ago, companies, I think, sort of worked to be issue agnostic yeah. and politically, right. you know, like just right. not not taking any stance at all so as to not offend any consumer base. And this is this is the opposite. This is a full swing where it's like, look, if you're saying nothing, I'm assuming you don't get me. And oh right. I, yeah. ne- I need a loud, proud voice from your brand, and hopefully, and it's got to be aligned with me. And as a brand, that eliminates some consumers, Indeed. right? You take a really strong uh, stance with a po- with a political charge, you alienate some consumers, mm-hmm. you take a really strong social charge, you alienate some consumers. And so that's an entirely new uh, type of risk to assume as a brand. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the data shows in terms of the upsides and downsides. Like, are your are your loyal consumers so good that it's worth losing some? Sounds like yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think it, it depends on the issue, of course, but I would say yes, you saw that even with Target, right? So Target said, hey, we're going to sort of say... You're welcome to anybody transgender team members, mm-hmm. guests whoever welcome to use the restroom or fitting room facility that corresponds with your gender identity and they absolutely saw a backlash, right They saw a sales backlash, not just a social media mm-hmm. backlash it was It was hard hit um, for a few months, but I think what they appreciated was that this is well one they're just a brand that that thinks you know bigger than just their sales, which is important, but it's also interesting to see that. 60% of Gen Z say, okay, I'm going to, I am gonna, want to support brands that take a stand on issues. And when more than half of Gen Z identify as queer, LGBTQ equality and, and transgender issues like that are an important issue for these young people. I have to go back and to so, that statistic.
1: Yeah. More than half of Gen Z, 15, 13 to 25-year-olds, you said? Yes. Identify as queer. Yes. That more than 50%.
0: Mm-hmm. Fifty percent, more than half, yeah. And how did it. how
1: is queer defined for the purposes of that study?
0: So that study was a um, study that was put out by um, J. Walter Thompson Innovation Group, hmm. um, that where it said only forty-eight percent of Gen Zs identify exclusively as heterosexual. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And so, and so they're saying queer is
2: of
1: non-hetero. Ordeal. Yeah. Fascinating. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cheryl and I have a lot to learn about our future students. <laughs> Apparently, there's we are taking tons of notes in this segment that flew too fast. Yes.
2: And we're going to have to call an end to the segment. We've been talking with Meredith Ferguson, Managing Director at Do Something Strategic. Um, if, Mer- if, if people want to find out more about the surveys, should they go to your site? or?
0: Yeah. They can go to dosomethingstrategic.org. org.
2: Okay. I would, I would advise checking it out. It's been a fascinating discussion topic. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll be having our open segment, ready to call in, I think. <laughs> we could really we could really use some Gen Z <laughs> callers. Exactly, exactly. Teach <laughs> us a few things. Um, and then you can give us a call at 1-844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111.